The Response Source Journalist Inquiry Service connects you, the journalist, with PRs and organisations to secure expert comment, case studies and information for independent editorial, free of charge. Response Source puts you in touch with experts and PR contacts across all sectors, saving you hours of research and helping you meet your deadlines. and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. So we're back and we're on to series four. Yes, this is very exciting. Uh, As you have will have already heard we have a new sponsor uh, and we have some top guests and really good topics lined up for you all. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about how to find case studies and experts. But before we start, Emma, should we have a little catch up on what we've been up to since series three? Yes, I mean, this might actually take a little while because we have not been, we've not been resting on our laurels here. So uh, where should we start? So we have a research assistant. So welcome to the team, Helen. Um, And that's really, really helping to take some pressure off um, kind of the work that we were doing and and bring some like different perspectives and skills to the team so that's really good yeah it's, that's been really helpful and really um helped us kind of get organized as well and what we've actually done this year is we've planned out a full webinar series for the whole of 2021 so we're doing a series of lunchtime webinars they're just 10 pound each and they're running throughout the year And we're going to be covering lots of different topics like finding work, pitching, podcasting and and other things. If you want to know more, head over to Ticket Taylor, search for Freelancing for Journalists and you can grab your place there. Yeah, so what else have we've we've got going on? We've just started um, the new run of our How to Become a Successful Freelance Journalist four-week online course. Uh, We run this three times a year with journalism.co.uk. And this time to go alongside that, because this is something that came from demands that we had from um, people who'd attended the course who kind of wanted a bit more kind of long-term follow-up and advice from us. Uh, We've set up a premium community uh, to uh, make sure that we can keep giving top tips on their pitches and ideas. Yeah, and another thing that we've done finally is we've got ourselves sorted on Instagram, something we've always wanted to do, but never had quite enough pair of hands to do it. So it's really great to see that that's been taking off. Uh, We have got uh, another round of our journalism work experience initiative. So students are still kind of having difficulty because of the pandemic getting uh, work experience placements. So we're putting together another database of journalists, freelance journalists, who we then link up with students who are wanting some real kind of world experience. Uh, We've collected some feedback from the first round of that and that was really positive from both sides who kind of found it really useful. Um, So it'll be great to expand on those opportunities. Uh, If you are a journalist who wants to help out with that, do get in touch, it's really flexible, kind of the amount of um, time you have to offer is to, you know, be decided between you and 
uh, your placement uh, and you can offer all kinds of different um, things it might be you know help with some interviews or help finding uh, finding some resources or um, you know just a bit of research anything really uh, if you are a student who wants to take part in that then again head over to Ticket Taylor and you can sign up to our webinar that uh, kind of tells you how to how to uh, sign up to the scheme and we will put all those links in the show notes for everyone yeah and finally this is our last thing but hot off the press uh we're putting together some mini guides on various different topics really excited about this um we feel this is something that's going to complement all our other resources really well the first one is going to be on finding work and pitching it's almost done so watch this space for more details on how to get your hands on one of those and let's not forget, alongside all of this work, we have also been busy writing freelance articles ourselves. And Emma has also been squeezing in the odd bit of homeschooling. Odd bit of homeschooling. <laughs> it's, I, I feel, I think I put this on social media the other day, that it's like running in a really strong wind. And when they finally go back to school, I'm just going to fall over with the amount of, you know, of extra time um, that I have to get everything done. But that was a really big old list, Lily. Uh, it's a bit kind of exciting and exhausting in equal measure. Um, let's move on to our topic for today. We've got two really great guests and we are going to grill them all about how to find case studies and experts. Uh, we do get asked about this a fair bit and it is a real skill. It kind of takes a bit of practice and a bit of know-how to, to get good at this. Lily, you wrote um, an advice piece on this for journalism.co.uk really recently so before we get to our guests I'm going to ask you for your top tip on this yeah so like you say <clears throat> it's something we get asked about all the time and I sometimes say that it's more of an art than a science um, particularly around case studies tracking down kind of exactly the person you want but my top tip really would be to go to where you think those case studies kind of hang out online so don't kind of assume that everyone's in the same place. So, for example, I did a piece where I was trying to speak to tattoo artists who are actually quite elusive. Um, and it was Instagram was where I was able to find people that were willing, willing to speak to me by direct messaging them. I tried every other social media. I tried forums. I wasn't getting anywhere. And it was only when I suddenly thought, oh, hang on, tattoos, that's very visual perhaps I'll be on Instagram, um, that was the best place. But then I've had other articles where Facebook, like a niche community, has been the best place to go to. Or I've been looking for young people and I thought, well, I'm not really on any networks where um, I'm going to be bumping into teenagers, but I know a lot of parents. <clears throat> so I've reached out to parents, say, on Facebook to try and get hold of teenagers. So, you know, again, kind of sometimes think in slightly different directions of, of how to get hold of people. But the main thing is go to where you think those people will be online or they will have other connections online. What about you, Emma? Yeah, so mine is sort of a, along similar lines, really. It sort of fits in that with that really well. And that is to always try and go outside your existing networks. And we talked a little bit about this um, in our diversity episode last um, in the last series. It's always tempting to kind of use friends or friends of friends, but actually the most interesting case studies can sometimes come from those whose voices are not often 
heard. So, you know, I would always advise trying to spread your net kind of wide and far because you're going to end up with more interesting stories this way, that way, and different kind of types of stories to tell. Um, and I would say that that goes for experts as well, rather than going to the same people all the time. Kind of as a health journalist, you can, you kind of build up your um, kind of experts who you always keep going back to because they get in touch with you and they know you and they'll just respond really quickly. But actually then a lot of your articles can end up with just those same voices over and over again. And sometimes it's just about just trying that little bit harder to find somebody different or somebody doing something different. Yeah, definitely. Again, it's kind of thinking outside the box to use a kind of cliche, but it's true. Okay, we rambled on quite enough, I think. So let's bring in our guests. Today, we have with us Tom Betterson, who is an account manager for Vulio and Response Source. Hi, Tom. Hi, thanks for having me. So their clients include PR agencies, freelancers and in-house PR teams who are looking to build brand exposure for themselves by closely working with journalists to get content out across a number of media channels. Tom is the company expert for Response Source Journalist Inquiry Service, which has been running for 22 years, and it allows journalists to send out requests for help when writing articles. And I will actually... Um, declare an interest that literally about five minutes before we came on air I put um, a call out on response source so I'm hoping I get some responses back by the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Um, we also have freelance producer and director Kate Dooley. Welcome to the podcast Kate. Great to be here thank you. So Kate has worked in documentary making for over 15 years. Uh, she was nominated for the 2019 Grierson Best Science Doc for BBC One David Attenborough's Climate Change, The Facts. Her other credits include Channel 4's Heston Blumenthal's Space Food, BBC Two's Inside the Factory, Channel 5's Great British Cathedrals with Tony Robinson and the Discovery series Unearthed. As you can probably imagine from that list of credits, Kate has a knack for finding and keeping hold of the best contributors and interviewees. Um, she's also worked for news crews in the past who need to find people to speak to more quickly. Uh, and her latest role has been working with Apple TV. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear about all the fascinating kind of case studies and experts that she's found for all those, uh, for all those projects. Okay, so we always start with our top tips and Tom, we're gonna come to you first. So what is your number one piece of advice for freelancers wanting to find the right case study or the right expert for a particular story? So I'd say about being specific, uh, know exactly um, what you're looking for and put that out to, to everybody. If you're using something like our journalist inquiry service or if you're going through social media, um, don't be afraid to be really specific about what you're looking for. Uh, otherwise, you're probably just going to risk uh, getting lots of irrelevant replies off the back of that and at the end of the day you just want to save time so that's uh, that's what I would say is my top tip yeah that's a really great bit of advice uh, Kate how about you what what would be your top tip for finding the best person to speak to or maybe convincing someone to share their experience because that's the next step in that isn't it absolutely so I've got an example for both so for picking the best person I'd actually say who's your yardstick for your audience so the people are actually going to see this person, they want to relate to them, they want to understand them. Um, will they find them interesting and engaging? So for example, for 
a BBC One evening show, my mum's a really good yardstick. So if I tell her about the person I'm thinking of interviewing, does she find the story interesting? If she doesn't, then I know I need to start looking in a different direction. Um, for convincing someone to share their experience, be charming and take your time, I would say. People are busy, they're stressed, especially at the moment. Um, so an example here, I was uh, working for the D-Day 75th anniversary on the BBC. And these, um, there were a team creating a garden in Normandy to celebrate um, this event. And they had a statue made of one of the soldiers who landed on the beaches that day, um, 75 years ago. And uh, he'd posed for the statue, but unfortunately had died before the garden had actually been created. Uh, but his daughter was heavily involved in the project. So a lot of people had interviewed the gardener who created the garden and the daughter. And I think because we had a bit more time, we spent a lot of time with her. We were chatting with her. We were having a really nice time. And actually we had her stood next to this statue and he sat down and it's kind of his old weathered face and it's a beautiful statue. And she was talking and she just tapped the statue on the knee. I mean, I can feel it now. She just tapped the statue on the knee as if he was just sat there. And it was just such a beautiful moment. And, and because we'd had the time to spend with her and we had her there with the statue, it just really made that film. Yeah, it's kind of looking for that extra, that extra thing that's gonna make your story kind of sing. And if, you, if, you, if you've got the time to spend with people, which I think we do have a lot more in TV than in kind of traditional journalism or media, we have a lot more time to build up those relationships. So that's definitely, that definitely helps. So I think wherever you can spend the time with people and, and be charming and be nice, you know, you're no one, you're nowhere without the people whose stories you're telling. Yeah, that's so true. And, and you do have to be able to build up people's trust and for them to feel comfortable with you, particularly if it's a emotive or a sensitive story. And I wonder, Tom, if we could bring you in here because I was just wondering if there's a particular case study or expert that you've helped to find that's kind of stuck with you, maybe something unusual or that's been quite difficult. Could you give us an example? Yeah, I mean, we we always get really random inquiries come through at times through the, the journalist inquiry service. Most of it's fairly straightforward and we've always got people to help out. Um, but. I mean, one that I've had recently is uh, I had a, a technology journalist looking for really short turnaround uh, article uh, on a really specific piece of, of sort of technology accreditation that they hadn't really um, sort of had much uh, knowledge about in the past. And uh, luckily, I've got a couple of clients who who work in that area, so it was just a quick phone call for me to get in touch and uh, get in touch directly. And put the, those people in touch. Um, they were able to turn that around really, really good. Um, so, yeah, there's there's some really good inquiries that we get through. But there's always a, the odd one where we we always need to uh, use the client list that we've got to hand. And uh, luckily, we can put uh, the people in touch uh, as, as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, coming coming back to this issue of trust, because I think we've all kind of. Have journalist being in that situation where you know someone's got a you know a really good story to tell but they might be really reluctant or you think they're on board with it and then 
um, they're not. So Kate, you've kind of had so much practice at this. Is, is there an example that stands out for you kind of maybe teaching you um, about how to find those people, or how to gain those trust, their trust once you have found them? Um, so I deal with kind of two different types of people, I guess there's experts and then there's just individuals who have their stories. So with experts, it really helps the reputation and reach of the broadcaster or publisher you are working for really helps and the names attached to other project already. So if I'm calling someone and I'm going, hi, my name is Kate, I'm calling from the BBC, I'm working on a project with David Attenborough, that really helps. <laughs> so whoever you're working for, you know, if the person, the expert might not know so well that the publisher you're working for, just try and give them a few quick facts to help them understand the reach and, and try and work out how your, that publication might reach a different audience that they might be interested in. Um, so I think that's one thing. The second thing with experts is know their work as much as you can in the time you have. Um, they really appreciate that, that you're not cold calling or you kind of, you're time wasting then if you've done a bit of research, you know, it's not embarrassing when you start asking them questions about what they're doing. Um, so that's for experts, for individuals, kind of be interested. It sounds stupid. Be interested them in them and find common ground. So a program I worked on called The Heist, which is a brilliant Sky One kind of cops and robbers show. Um, I, one of my roles was filming with this brilliant forensic expert and she was kind of involved in Amdram in her spare time. And so we're sat in this white transit van in a car park uh, with all the stuff, like the materials that we'd ordered for her to use as part of this um, TV show. So we're cataloging them all and working out what we've got. And we're singing Les Mis at the top of our voices at the same time, uh, just because she loved it. And we started talking about it. And that kind of was a really hilarious, good grounding for us. And for the rest of the show we were filming, we just had such a laugh and that really helped. You know, so as fast as you can, just find some common ground, be interested in them, ask around kind of different things. So again, in TV, we've got time for some of that chit chat, especially when you're filming interviews, because you've got lots of kit to set up. So your cameraman and your sound man are working away hard, kind of setting up the kit and you as a director, are then just talking to someone and kind of getting them to be calm and, and kind of willing to open up. Um, make sure they're okay as well. Look, really look after people and make sure they see you're looking after them, get them teas and coffees, get them lunches, make sure they're okay, they're warm enough, whatever it is, you know, people really appreciate that. And I think probably again, more so in the world we live in at the moment. It's it's so interesting what you said there about kind of experts and the, and the reputation of the organization that you're working for. Um, because, you know, I, I used to work for BBC and when I went there from kind of a, a specialist title and all of a sudden, kind of doors would just open and everybody I mean I once had a secretary put me through to the surgeon while he was in the operating theatre <laughs> it's like calm down it's fine like do your operation first then call me back I can be further down that list that's okay it's really interesting from a freelancer when you're working for so many different outlets to see the difference in how quickly people get back to you and it's kind of like I'm I'm the same person as a freelancer sometimes I don't know how to overcome that hurdle of people being more interested in speaking to Kind of certain outlets than than others but it's good to see that you've had that experience as well and i wondered tom um i suppose kate's experience is very kind of 
evolved around TV and, and obviously it's great. You've got the time there, but I'm wondering for people that perhaps are on a shorter deadline, they're trying to find a case study that like you say, might be quite specific. Um, kind of what, what would be your advice to them other than just kind of posting something on their own social media feed? Is there, is there things that people can do to spread the net more widely? Yeah, so I mean, we've got our journalist inquiry service, which which goes through Response Source, um, and what that does is it'll get your inquiry out to all of our subscribers. Uh, and I mean, within that, we've got people who subscribe to the our service range from sort of the big, well-known companies that everybody would would be able to to name off the top of their head. But it goes right the way down to really small, like smaller companies, smaller agencies. Um, and freelancers so if you're after stories for like personal stories uh, or if you're after like updates from from experts then that's a great way of reaching out and just expanding that net a bit a bit wider like you were saying um, and some of the the clients I deal with like they've got some amazing stories uh, so it's just a case of, of of trying to reach out either whether you use social media and things like hashtag journal requests or you use our journalist inquiry service uh, that, that could be the big difference between uh, getting uh, a, a good story and, and then getting something that's uh, that's really, really great. Yeah, I think journal, hashtag journal request is a, is a good shout, actually, because I, I use that quite a bit on Twitter. I think you do, like with all these things, you have to think about the timing of it as well, because, you know, the time of day, you know, are people going to be actually on Twitter or are people going to be at work? I know we're all kind of working from home now but some people still do have kind of good work-life boundaries even if we all don't um but yeah thinking about when am I going to ask for this information how long of a deadline um am I gonna put for people to respond as well and I mean in, on, on that front I mean it, it I mean it all, a lot of it depends on, on sort of what what time you've got to to get that article done um usually i mean the stuff that we see will be anywhere from a few hours but like if you could give people at least a day then that would be great but anything up to sort of two three days uh it is sort of really gives everybody enough time to to find who they're looking for um especially on our side we've got some pr clients who then have to report back to the the experts that, that might help you with this so like if you can give two three days to 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 have a bit of a lead time on it then that, that would be perfect and I mean if you're looking to send a, an inquiry out whether that be through our service or, or through like Twitter usually the best times to do that are first thing in the morning um, or on the run-up to the, the back end of lunch so if like two o'clock was kind of a limit uh, just a bit after that so it's when people are getting back to their desks when people have got a, a spare, like a spare 10 15 minutes to to go through these so um that that's what i would sort of recommend on on that front in terms of timing and sort of sometimes the case study that you need to find can be very specific or niche sometimes the things that editors will ask you for and my favorite example of this is um a journalist that and it was a journalist who posted this a few times. It had popped up in various groups and feeds that I'm in. And it just really kind of um, struck me as being so specific. She needed to find a woman under 30 who still had a carpet in her bathroom. 
and I, I've looked out over, you know, many years for this article appearing about women who have carpets in their bathrooms. I've never actually seen, I don't know if they ever found the person. And um, I mean, Kate, you've worked on some really kind of niche topics. Is it harder or easier when you've kind of got something so specific if someone, you know, if an editor wants somebody kind of with such a specific story? I just love that idea of, because I don't think I've ever had a carpet in my bathroom. I just want to know who that was for. Do you know what I mean? Like, what were they expecting to get out of that? Was it like a DIY magazine? It's like how to, I don't know. Anyway, I just love that. Um, yeah, I've been asked to find some pretty strange things in my time. Um, so one was, uh, we wanted to see the life cycle of a maggot, which basically means finding an expert who can source some animal who died of natural causes so that you can see, and if anyone's eating right now, I won't go into the detail of it, but yeah, see the life cycle of a maggot coming out of a dead animal. Um, <laughs> well, there are maggot experts around, of course, and even at the Natural History Museum, which is where we went. <laughs> um, another good one was, um, can we send an atomic clock around the world to basically show Einstein's theory of relativity in action? Unfortunately, atomic clocks are rather large and look a bit like a bomb to anyone who's <laughs> on an untrained eye. So going through an airport and then putting this on a plane just after 9-11 seemed like a really tricky idea, but actually the National Physics Lab uh, in London was very happy to help, has an expert, has an atomic clock. And we found um, a carrier who would put it on one of their business class seats next to the presenter, also in a business class seat, and um, to go around the world. Um, so that actually ended up being okay. So with experts, actually, it can be quite easy when you've got a niche topic because there are experts for everything and they don't really hide themselves away. No, they're like, suddenly is my time to shine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they're exactly, and they're really happy to do something. So Another example is when we did Heston Space Food, the number of people who actually make food that is geared up to go into space because NASA's list of, of things you need to fulfill for that, rightly so, is very long and very detailed. So there aren't many places to go to that you can make space food. And there aren't many places you can go to give a presenter like Heston an idea of what it's like to be in space and therefore how important food is and how nostalgic and how big a reminder of home it needs to be just to give you that moment of, of kind of calm and, and kind of love with food. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what Heston's thing is. So, um, so we put him on a zero G flight because that's one of the only ways you can recreate space down on the planet. And blimey, that was fun and sick making. But, um, you know, a whole hour of TV basically comes from those two things. Um, and I'd say, so really with experts, it's finding the people that can open the right doors for you. So whether it's the UK Space Agency was the organization at the time who could open doors for us to kind of reach those people, um, the Natural History Museum, you know. Um, so those, so for experts, it's those big societies you want to go to, those big organizations that, that they can help you find the right experts. For individuals, it, it is, the best way is social media, basically. As long yeah. as they're the kind of people who are on social social media, otherwise you have to physically go out and meet them, which obviously is a bit more tricky at the time, but it is, it's working out where those people hang out, like you said earlier, and going yeah, and seeing and them. When you're 
you know, when you're finding those experts, those organizations all have communications departments exactly. and people who deal with this. And so, you know, you're kind of, that's quite an easy step into getting into that organization. Um, and then over time, I guess you can build up relationships with those organizations, societies, charities, whoever it might be with those PR departments anyway. So they know you and trust you. And the next time you need somebody from their, you know, from the database, then, you know, that makes that process a bit easier, maybe. Exactly. I think the thing as well to bear in mind with when you do do call outs for experts is having a way of managing the responses. So I've just checked my phone. <laughs> I put my request out on response source 40 minutes ago. I've had 19 responses already. Um, and that's kind of typical. I find particularly on things to do with personal finance, which I write about a lot, I get a lot of responses. And I think one trick can be to set up a separate email address that is just for dealing with um, responses to calls out for particular subjects, because otherwise it can get lost within everything else that's coming into your inbox. I know I've done that in the past. And also it does mean that you can kind of, when you're not looking for people, um, you can kind of ignore that email account. So I've got one I dip into every few months and there's like hundreds there. And I think, well, I don't need to, I don't need to look at them because they're not relevant to me right now, but it's, it's organizing it, isn't it as well. Like you say with experts is a lot easier I find than, than case studies. But like you say, if you get in with those organizations, they can then find case studies for you as well. And that's kind of a tactic that I use with um, PR agencies. If they come to me with a press release that I'm interested in, I always go back and say, find me a case study, find me a case study and I'm interested. But if you haven't got a case study, I, I can't run the story. Um, so it's kind of making them do the work as well, rather than you sort of hunting around. Um, so yeah, just, just some kind of tips, I suppose, from my own experience. But uh, Tom, I just wondered if there is, you know, if you had any other advice and kind of, you know, if people do put in a request and they are getting overwhelmed with responses, like something people ask about is, well, do I have to respond to all of them? I mean, are the people in your database expecting to get a response or, or not? No, I mean, you'd be there for days with some of them like you're seeing already like if you've only had like had 20 replies in 40 minutes like you'd spend a week just replying to people um like our clients understand that it's they're not gonna get a response off everyone so um they're, uh, they're hopefully they're not there crying into their laptops uh if, if you've if you've not had anything back from them so um no i mean in terms of like if you get to a point where you think you've you've got enough in quote like You've had enough replies like by all means call us up and and we can end those uh, in those um inquiries early just move the deadline up um like it's with those as well i think on the on the twitter side you can you can pull a tweet or anything like that um or just update it so that there's ways around it but um now usually with 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 journalists and then from what i've seen like they they'll reply to the ones that are, are relevant to them um and then it's it's just a one of those things where it's uh be nice to go back to everybody um but i've seen upwards of 150 replies so it's just not not time not a good uh spend of time to to go back to each uh, each reply that you get 
I mean, on the other kind of side of that, kind of one side is being overwhelmed. The other side of that is that you have your cases and you think you're sorted. And then at the last minute, <laughs> they drop out. And I know Lily's had a couple of experiences um, of this. So <laughs> quite a few experiences of this. Um, so, I mean, she can come along and give her tips for avoiding that in a minute. But, okay, I'm interested in is have you got advice on how to manage that process so that once you think somebody's kind of happy to speak to you that they then um I mean is it about setting their expectations at the beginning maybe yeah I think that's a really good point definitely setting expectations about the time you're gonna require from them because that makes a lot of difference to people and obviously again in tv we need a lot more time because we spend a couple of phone calls maybe beforehand setting out finding out about their research, how we can film it, how we're gonna tell that story. Um, and then the actual filming can take a couple of hours to a day, depending a couple of days, depending really what it is. Um, I'd say communication really is the key thing here. And it's funny, I'm on the other end of the interview today and I'm not used to it. And I was chomping at the bit, kind of like, right, what are they gonna ask me? What do I need to think about? What do I need to prepare? And um, and so that's actually made me much more <laughs> conscious of sending people questions for the interview as early as I can. Um, because you do, you want to kind of, you want to prepare for it. And so I think, yeah, so I think sending questions as early as you can and just keeping in touch. Again, in TV, things change, I think, probably a lot more than they do in journalism because our stories we have to. So the first call might be just an introduction, finding out the basic information, and then you work out how you might tell the story. Then that story has to be signed off by series producers, executive producers, uh, commissioners, channel heads. Do you know what I mean? You've got this big pipeline that we have to go through in TV that you probably don't have the same um, kind of thing, really. Um, so the story can change and morph so much in that. So you always have to keep going back to people and checking that the new way you want to do something will work or if you can try a different angle um so yeah it's it's communication basically is making sure people are still happy and that you still have those little chit chats with people so you kind of stay in touch with them and you know what's going on with them a little bit so you know you know how to pitch things when you next speak to them yeah yeah Lily do you have you kind of changed your approach on some of this after having a couple of case studies drop out yeah um yeah so it's a particular series that I um write for quite regularly and it's completely case study led and in the past I have used PR agencies um who have come forward with case studies I now have basically made a blanket decision that I will not use PR agencies for this particular series because I've been stung so many times and it's and it's, I've done everything I can. I have explained to the PR, I've explained to the case study exactly what the story involves, exactly the questions I'm going to be asking them, exactly the level of detail. Here is an example story, read it, see what detail we go into. And then it comes to the interview and there's certain questions that they're cagey about or they refuse to answer. Um, I find a way of getting around it and then literally at the 11th hour they're pulling out and saying they don't want to do it it wasn't what they signed up for it's not what they expected so that's happened to me three times in a row 
And I just went, right, I'm not going through PRs anymore because this happens every single time I've used a PR. Whereas when I've sourced people in other ways, normally through my own networks and actually friends or friends of family, it's been fine. I've had absolutely no problems whatsoever. Um, so I've kind of learned for that particular, and it's only that particular series, um, I have to do it a certain way. Um, but there, there are other times where using PRs is absolutely fine. You know, like, like I was saying earlier about using responsors, that's been absolutely fine for certain topics. But I think you have you have to learn and adapt. And there are certain stories where you need one approach, and certain stories where you need another approach. Um, so it's just about kind of working that out. And it's only through trial and error, I think, that you learn that. So, yeah, yeah and I think we probably all do lots of things that just we've kind of worked out is the way to do it or just kind of comes natural to us but actually we hadn't realized we were doing those things so I'm often having to find um doctors kind of medics various healthcare professionals to speak to and I'll sometimes see on you know and I kind of have my listener but I also have other ways of kind of finding new ones if it's a different topic that I haven't spoken to before spoken to anyone about before and sometimes I'll go I'll see on Facebook groups or journalism groups um does anyone know a GP I can speak to like that's too vague there's 40,000 of them what like then they all have different interests and different things and different willingness to speak to the media do you need someone in a certain region location do you need someone who's interested in a certain type of medicine women's medicine like what like that's and to me that I would just never now say through years of doing it oh I need a GP it would have to be way more specific than that but if someone had asked me for a top tip without seeing that I don't think I would have ever thought it's just these kind of little ways that you learn of doing things as you go along and I was interested what you said there Lily about using your own networks and friends and family because that was going to be one of my questions is this something that is something we should be doing or a no-go like what yeah I'd be interested in uh, your view on that Kate what do you think about that can that make it complicated if you're using people you know do you think I think if you you're trying to find the best story and you want the best person to tell it I don't think it matters who you ask as long as you communicate honestly and look after them um you've got you've always got a duty of care to the people you're um whose story you're telling so as long as you're being authentic to that then I don't think there are ever any problems things can always go wrong and you take that risk um I've, I've only been able ever to use my family I think I've used my dad once in a tv show which um your assistant Helen will know very well because I did it on the show we worked on together um and he never lives it let, let me live it down because it, the script said old man asleep aboard a plane <laughs> And it was the perfect casting. Um, <laughs> but I think actually to what the point you were speaking about earlier, I think you have, um, if someone's not giving you what you want, you just have to learn. And it takes time to learn how far you can push people ultimately, because you have to not be scared to ask the difficult questions. And if you're asking a difficult question, you don't have to ask it in a difficult way, <laughs> you know, but if someone's signed up and you've been very clear about what you want from them, and they've said yes, and now they're not willing to say that, you have to kind of try and unpick why and give them some comforting kind of information about 
this is going to be okay giving this information why do you not want to give me this information now but you also have to work out how far you're willing to push them to try and get what you need to tell the story and that I think just takes time and, and understanding who you are as a person and how best to get what you need out of other people yeah yeah definitely um yeah uh, it, it is so frustrating when it happens but you do learn from it and you do like say you do change tactic Tom I wondered what your thoughts were on kind of using friends and family is that a last resort well, it depends on the subject really I mean it, uh, there's always going to be the odd occasion where you've got friends or family and and they're like the, the the expert on that field in which case that's brilliant and, and you go for it I think like Kate was saying it, it it all depends on what information you're after and and what questions you're going to ask and, and sort of how deep you're going to go with with that I think it's it's always uh it can be anything on, on that front so yeah I mean it, it's they're, they're always there and and if they're the right people to speak to then then perfect it's a fairly straightforward in for you but um yeah it's it's there's there's always other options available to you so yeah and I guess it's about managing them expectations even more carefully because you're going to have to see them again yeah um, <laughs> and you never quite know how a story is going to unfold and what the reaction is going to be to it so it's like with any source it's preparing them for that as well um which can be slightly more delicate with family Okay, I think that's probably a good place to uh, to move on to our listener dilemma of the week. So this is a section of the podcast where we put your questions to our guests and we try to fix a problem you've been having or just to give our thoughts on something you've been pondering. Yeah, so this week we have one from our Facebook community, which fits in quite nicely. Accidentally, this wasn't planned with um, what we've been talking about today. Catherine Thompson asks... How do you handle it if you feel their answers, comments aren't strong enough for the piece or if you think someone isn't going to get back to you so you try elsewhere and suddenly you have um, too many contributors? Should you be honest with them or just hope you don't ask? I mean, not on the having too many, this happens to me all the time because I kind of get all my queries in early and then, you know, a couple of days later the deadline's looming and you realise no one's got back to you so then you cast your net a bit wider and then guaranteed an hour later everybody's got back to you and you think I can't I can't get all these quotes in and they've taken their time when they're really busy to answer you and it and I do I kind of struggle with that one sometimes with knowing just how much to trust that people will get back and how much to kind of just you know panic and send out those mass emails to everybody and yeah Lily what do you what do you do with that yeah, this happened to me recently. And I think you do just have to be honest to people. I think it's fine to go back to them um, and just say, I'm really sorry, but this just doesn't work for this particular story. Um, you know, thank you, you've been really helpful, but just this time it's not worked out. And um, I think people just really appreciate you being honest with them and just getting back to them. Um, you're under no obligation to include them. You know, I was sent some very nice chocolates to include in a story in a review um recently and um actually when it came to writing up it didn't fit with all the other products that were in the piece and I felt really bad because I thought she sent me all this chocolate um and I've eaten it all um 
and she was fine she was absolutely fine about it um so yeah I think just be honest um and and don't worry if it doesn't work for the story it doesn't work for the story you know that that's it really what would yeah you... I mean and sometimes that's outside your control isn't it because an editor will cut something further down the line that's nothing to do with you that you had in I mean your job as the journalist is to uh kind of you know get the best story I mean Kate do you have you ever had circumstances where someone's you've spent quite a lot of time with someone they've given you quite a lot of time and then it doesn't make um the cut how do you how do you kind of manage that all the time it happens all the time <laughs> you you in and again because in TV we have a lot more time but you it's a great big funnel of you contact so many people initially you know, fewer you speak to, fewer might kind of go through to being in a script, fewer will get filmed and fewer, unfortunately, will make it through in the edit. Um, and you just, it is exactly what you said, be honest, take the time. It doesn't have to be a long email or a long phone call, but just take the time to contact people and they appreciate that. And it is gutting when you found someone in a story you think is just brilliant and it doesn't make it for whatever reason into the final show and, and you just oh it's just so annoying but yeah you just have to be honest and upfront with people because you never know when you might need them again and you might want to kind of go back to them a year later and go actually I've got a different thing I'm working on now and you would be great and so if you've burnt any bridges then that might sting you later but yeah I mean treat people how you want to be treated basically if you've got the time then email them quickly yeah and yeah just to be upfront about it I saw I don't I, I think people are generally more understanding than we might give them credit for because I saw an example yesterday of a, a kind of medical organization where a couple of the doctors had recorded some COVID diaries that were supposed to be for a um, TV I think that but didn't get for whatever reason you know the piece never went out but they've put them out on their website as audio recordings and you know they're just they were very you know it just it didn't make the cut but we thought it was worth listening to so here you go and they put it out on their own social media and you know they you know they just kind of well it'd be a shame if people didn't hear these so let's just use them here instead and it was all fine and Tom do you ever get that from the other side of people kind of saying but I gave up all my time for this journalist and now they've not <laughs> used it no, I don't tend to get too much of that I mean I like like everyone's sort of said, like, I think everyone's really understanding. Like, at the end of the day, I think we're all trying to do our own jobs and, and, and trying to help people where we can. And I think, like, like we've said, if you've just been honest with them um, and having those those contacts they, that say it doesn't work this time, like Kate was saying, it might be somebody you pick up with down the line. Like, um, So it's, it's never worth burning those bridges. Like... Uh, just build your your network up and um it, it could then expand that out even further so uh, for like a future piece if you're doing something and, and they go oh actually i know somebody who could help you out on that then then it helps helps uh, helps enormously yeah and like you say building those bridges and keeping those contacts because you never know quite when you're going to need someone in the future all right, that's a really, really positive note, I think, to fin finish on. So we're going to bring this episode to a close. Thanks so much to Tom and Kate for coming on and sharing your experience on this topic. I think it's been really helpful. Yeah, really helpful. Um, if you want to know more about us, including uh, our newsletter, then head to freelancingforjournalists.com where we've got all our 
different projects that we're working on. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter where we are at freelancing for. Uh, you can follow us individually as well. I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor. And don't forget to join our uh, Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community. We've got, we hit 3,000 members on there this week. And what we're so pleased to see is that there is always somebody to answer anyone's question, however niche it is. We've had some really niche things about journalists working in different places in the world this week. And there's always been someone there to answer the question. So come along and join in uh, and hunt us out on Instagram. Yeah, and for all of our um, resources, our webinars, our training courses, remember you can find all that information out um, on our website, as Emma mentioned. Um, and also we'll put all the details in our show notes. Yeah, so if you appreciate this podcast or you found it useful, you can buy us a virtual cuppa to say thanks. Our coffee pages are pinned tweets. And if you feel like giving us a thumbs up or a review, then we'd love to hear your feedback and that really helps others to find us. Yeah, so once again, um, a big thanks to our producer, Richard Wilson, who sorts out any edits for us. Yeah, so that's it for now. But next week, we'll be discussing should you ever work for free? Oh, it's going to be a hot topic, that one. Okay, bye for now. Bye.